Ladies and gentlemen, it is David Andrew here. Hope you're doing well. Is your God white? Can you name colonization a sin? What does it mean to be faithful to Jesus on stolen land? In this episode, we hear from three internationally respected indigenous Christian theologians. Uh, This is one of the episodes that we recorded live in Melbourne, and it's stunning from beginning to end. And we hope that you enjoy as much as we did. So the guest that we've got today is Reverend Dr. Terry LeBlanc. Dr. Terry is Mi'kmaq Acadian and is the Executive Director of Indigenous Pathways. Dr. Terry is also the Founding Chair and Current Director of NATES, an Indigenous Learning Community. Ani Reverend Patricia Courtney, Aboriginal Elder, Anglican Priest and NATES International Faculty Member. We've got Naomi Wolfe, an Aboriginal Academic, a Lecturer uh, at the Australian Catholic University and at NATES and a board member there as well. And if you're seeking a community to turn the world upside down with, consider joining our Patreon community. A link to Nate's and our Patreon will be in the show notes. Hope you enjoy. This is Reverend Dr. Uncle Terry LeBlanc. And the fact that uh, you found yourself down here in Australia, is this the 28th time you've talked down here? Well, I don't know if it's the 28th time that I've taught down here, but it's probably the 22nd or 3rd that I've been here, yeah, yes. Been here. Mm. And it's wonderful to have you back. Um, uh, Uncle Terry and the work that Nates is doing, uh, I, I had enrolled in a master's in a respectable institution in the States that um, had, had taken me in, and I transferred after meeting Uncle Terry because of my immense respect for him and excitement that this um, uh, Indigenous theological uh, institution was now starting in Australia. It's running with Whitley, and that's been incredibly exciting for me. And the fact that I get to share that now with you as well is incredibly exciting. But it's not just uh, Canadian guests with us, <laughs> as Father Bob was saying before. Um, uh, Arnie Pat, who's also um, Reverend Patricia Courtney, as well as Arnie Pat, um, it's wonderful to have you as uh, an elder that's not from the other side, but whose people have been here for quite some time. Um, would you tell us a little bit, uh, um, before we hear from others, um, who are your mob and uh, where have you hailed from before being here? Watamoli. That's uh, my Biri language up in Queensland near Townsville, Collinsville area. That's on my mum's side um, and that's uh, Grandad's language and that's the emu. On my mum's side, so my mum, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, my great-great-grandmother, grand-grand women, mm. younger mothers, gugu grandmothers since time immemorial. That's up near Bundaberg. And then there's me. I'm a gugu and younger. And my daughter, she's a younger. And now my granddaughter, Maya. So we're grand-grand all the way and we'll continue to be so. Thanks, yeah. Pat. I'm so glad that you're here. And... We talked about emerging leaders and it's uh, very exciting that um, uh, to have one of our emerging Aboriginal academic theologians coming through at the moment, Naomi Wolf, as well as being a dear friend. I'm so glad you could be part of this conversation. Thanks for having me as well. I'm hoping I might get some credit for it. We'll oh, talk later. You anyway. still have to do the work, Jared. Okay. <laughs> in, in terms of... Um, the Lord helps those up. who help themselves. That's right. <laughs> with footnoting. <laughs> In terms of who your mob are? So I, I have mixed ancestry. I'm a Tasmanian Aboriginal person, but I have some other ancestry as well. Um, and uh, my um, other ancestry includes Jewish, German history mm. and Irish history. So, yeah. We share this. Heinz 57 variety, my dad would say. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who remember what that was. <laughs> yeah. And Uncle Terry... You're not from these parts. Your neighbourhood's a little far away. Who are your mob? I'm a Mi'kmaq person from Listigouche First Nation in the uh, province of Quebec in Canada. Thank you. So I just said hi. (laughs) (laughs) And before white people were white, we had a story to tell. So um, just to to name the stories that uh, to create a 
sense of humility instead of acting like the default settings for this continent started 200 years ago with those that are pigmently challenged like me. On my mum's side of the family, we are Russian Jews. On my dad's side, we are Irish Catholic. And my dad migrated in the 70s. And um, the importance of me acknowledging the land here is actually finding my stories and realising that I'm a story, a part of a story of redemption, that if I don't name those things, I come to these conversations in ways that I don't listen out of my baptism and I listen out of a flimsy identity. And Dave, do you want to give us a little bit of some of the background that you know of where you are from before yep. you were able to talk about yourself as white? Sure. Uh, on my mother's side, I am fully Scottish. Um, and so we're part of the Ross clan from Scotland. Uh, on my father's side, we are English and we are Malaysian. So um, that's that. <laughs> and one of the reasons we start there in starting this conversation is to actually um, realise that we all have stories and those stories are really important to tell. And we can't listen and receive without actually having a place to listen from. So as you're listening, I hope this gives permission for you to think, what is your story that is being redeemed in such ways that we can be open, both to the repentance that is required as we come around the cross, as the Spirit moves because of the resurrection, but also to the joy that is caught up in that repentance, that the healing of this land is actually some of the work that we're doing in this space now. So I wanted to ask you all the, the standard inverse question where we start, where do you first remember encountering scripture? And uh, I'm, I'm happy to start anywhere, um, whoever wants to start, but when do you first remember encountering the Bible? It was really through my mum um, and she was telling me stories. Mm. And she's telling me stories about Jesus. Yeah. So, oral. Yeah. Beautiful. So, yeah, I mean, and really, we t all tell our children mm. those stories. And um, that's, you know, okay, I didn't go to Sunday school, but, um, but yeah, it was because I, it was the little town that we were at, um, in Keppel Sands, it's a seaside town, and we just didn't have a church there. We had a hall. Mm. Um, and even though I was baptised Anglican, um, as a child, we one fortnight the Anglican priest would come and the next fortnight um, the Uniting Church <laughs> priest would come. So, And then we had, um, I would say, I would call her a substitute grandmother, and those days you call people Mr and Mrs. So yeah. Mrs Bull used to come and... Uh, teachers RE in the school and, you know, one teacher school and there was, you know, um, all denominations. Mm. So we just, we learnt about Jesus. Yeah. Thanks, Anika. Well, for me it would be um, the family Bible on the, uh, generally on the coffee table when people came to visit and in the closet when they weren't. Um, <laughs> Uh, and it's an old family Bible that would have um, marriage records, birth records, um, baptismal records, and so on. Our family lineage in, in uh, Christian faith, or what I uh, term French Jesuit Catholic Christian faith, extends back to uh, uh, my ancestor who was baptized on June 24th, 1610, just down the coast from where I live now. Wow. Um, and uh, along with... 21 members of his extended family. And so the family Bible tradition uh, extends back an awfully long way, um, at, you know, at least 150 years sort of back from me that you would have the family Bible sitting on some um, table or, or sideboard or something of that nature in which you would record, um, you know, these events, these, these passages of life, you know, the hatch, match and dispatch stuff. <laughs> Thanks, Uncle Terry. Um, <clears throat> for me, I remember taking a small uh, box down off a shelf and opening it up to discover a King James Bible, mm. which had the silver sort of lining around the outside and starting to read these very small print and old words and thought, wow, 
what's this all about? Mm. And then I went to mum and said, what's this all about? She said, you come to Sunday school, you go to the mass and you still don't know what this is about. <laughs> Are you even listening, girl? Um, mum was a Sunday school teacher. Mm. Um, we, we went to church. Well, let me, let me explain that. My brother and I were meant to go to church. Um, we come from a small um, town where there's lots of different denominations. Grandma was one of many, so we have most denominations in our family. Mm. Everything from Seventh-day Adventist to Gospel Hall to Catholic to Anglican. Uh, and my dad would say he's Calathumpian. <laughs> um, <clears throat> And he, he goes to church for hatches, matches and dispatches yeah. and says the same joke, you know, is the roof reinforced, um, that sort of stuff. But <laughs> mum took faith seriously. Mm. She was a Sunday school teacher. So she was quite horrified that I hadn't made a connection that what we were being taught on Sunday school and in church was actually contained in this book. Um, and then she got a bit mad because I'd made the pages a bit ruffled. So that's my earliest memory and I was about five. Wow. Um, and I remember at Christmas time getting an easier Bible to read, which I, I liked because it had pictures. <laughs> As Dave and I were starting the podcast, we um, our, our heart and why it's called Inverse, um, which we thought was clever for about a week, um, uh, not just in the verses, but when the early apostles were accused of turning the world upside down. And we always try and ask a question around, um, was your experience of the Bible something that uh, turned the world upside down or reinforced it the way it was? But I'm very aware um, as First Nations peoples that that question has so many more layers of complexity. And uh, um, maybe we can open up that question as we open up the text because I, I don't want to move through that in such a way that we don't honour those comp complexities. And my hope in this space together, and as um, Dave and I were talking, is that I, I so deeply think that um, the, the redemption of the church from our addiction to coercive power, we must listen to those whom so often we've talked over the top of. And so much of my journey and why I'm at Nates and I, I believe in Nates and think it's so important is that I think this is a, a strategic time in our history to go on that journey in such ways where um, we, we take repentance in this history of colonisation seriously. So I'm wondering uh, what passage have you chosen that we can start to hear the complexities of propping up the world as it is versus the kingdom of God, which turns our world upside down. Aunty Pat, do you have a passage you want to read for us? Um, yeah, I think um, what I did, um, I was in Surrender and um, a couple of weekends ago. Yeah, a wonderful conference. And, um, the, um, and I end up with this passage at the end um, because I first started off with the Genesis 1 story um, and the creation story and then I told one of my creation stories and, and asked people to how they connected with that and mm. that was, I felt, really was wonderful. But the passage that I, um, I actually really focused on it towards the end, which I, I think everyone um, has heard and has some um, perspective on it and, um, and I was looking at changing attitudes and I really actually, it was the young people that came up afterwards wow. and said to me, and these are young Australian, you know, teenagers, um, and they said, yeah, I actually identify with your Indigenous perspective. Wow. So, so I feel like there's a real future here. But Genesis chapter 1, 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over everything living that moves upon the earth. Mm. Mm. Uncle Terry, even hearing that text read, I'm very aware the complexities of how that's been read. How, how do we even start to name that given... 
given what's happened. Um, well, uh, from from the sort of the classic Western uh, trajectory of the church, it's been read as uh, subjugation, domination, uh, replacement of what we find with what we bring, uh, those kinds of experiences. And of course, that's the experience of this land um, called Australia today. And uh, the same would be true of the land I come from today called Canada. Mm-hmm. It was a trajectory of the church, the post-Constantinian church uh, um, that is established in the conquest motif. Yeah. Um, you know, the merger of, um, of Roman structure and authority and power with uh, Greek philosophy and logic drives the church in the immediate aftermath of, of Constantine in 313 to uh, a, a church that is, that is birthed from that point forward in the motif of conquest. And, um, and so this text is, is, has been interpreted classically now over those centuries as domination, dominion in the, in the subjugation sense, as opposed to dominion in the sense of the benevolent um, monarch who cares for, nurtures, and, and values that which, um, which has been entrusted uh, to, to him or her. And I think that's the circumstance in which we have found ourselves as indigenous peoples around the globe over the, over the centuries uh, with respect to the Christian church, which is why oftentimes uh, today you still experience people who, who uh, have a respect for Jesus and a respect for the Bible, but, um, but see, the, see Christianity and the church as an epithet um, and, and a spitter or, or grimace when they, when they talk about it. So... So that motif, I think, um, um, uh, wrongly inserted into this text um, is, is one we need to continue to wrestle against. And if an honest assessment of uh, where the church is regarding um, doing the work to undo our addiction to empire, um, where are we at the moment? How do you all feel... Um, has there been space for your voice? Um, I, I would say we are carving space. Hmm. It's a bit like um, the water will go across rock and it will eventually make its way. The rock never moves, but the water will find a way hmm. slowly surely, and more water will come. And so for me, at the moment, I think there's a great sense of challenge and hope within the church. The challenge is that the church has some cultural amnesia. (laughs) We don't know our own story. Yes. We don't know the contextual background of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sometimes we are too engaged in proof texting, taking a verse to kind of have a spiritual tug of war with someone. St Paul says this, oh, yes, but did you read, you know, the gospel of this and so on. And we forget that there's a context. Yeah. It's always a context. We have a context, you have a context. And so often when I'm, I'm teaching at university, I ask students, hands up if you've got a culture. Actually, let's ask that now. Hands up if you have a culture. No right or wrong answers at the moment. Hands up if you don't think you have a culture. Okay, the third option, hands up if you haven't put your hands up yet. (laughs) (laughs) Some honest people, well done. We all have a culture, we just may not know what it is. And I think we have some binary issues at the moment. Um, We have Indigenous, non-Indigenous, white, black, them, us, other, in crowd, out crowd, and they can be very limiting. They can mean that we try and reduce the gospel into these these kind of categories. Mm. They've got it, we haven't, we've got it, they haven't. And so one of the challenges is how do we, how do we equip our congregations and ourselves, ourselves first, (laughs) um, to understand what the story is? What's that long history? Because we have a long history yeah. and we have a history with the Christian church, some of it pretty bad and, and some of it is getting better, mm. we hope. Thank you, Jesus. 
Um, <laughs> and so the challenge is how do we work through that together as a community? How do we celebrate the good things? How do we uh, acknowledge the past? And we're not talking about fake guilt here. Yeah. Not saying you have to go around moaning and groaning and saying, woe is me, you know, sackcloth cloths and ashes and that sort of stuff. That's, that's not helpful. It's not necessary. We don't need it. We don't want it. It's not he healthy for any of us. That's not living true to what God has called us to do. But if we start knowing what our stories are and how they connect, then I think we can then uh, build a better relationship and then help others. And I think one of the hopeful things that I've found, particularly is becoming involved in the Nates community, this mm. international Indigenous community. We're all over the place. We're, we're, you know, growing like an octopus with tentacles everywhere. Is that we finally have space as Christians to engage as God called us to. Mm. God created us as who we are. This is our story. And to be able to sit with other Indigenous people, with non-Indigenous students, such as yourself, Jared, mm. and to have that space to say, well, what actually does this mean? How could we see God in our own story? Mm. How do we meet the gospel in, in what we're trying to achieve here? And how do we, you know, all of those words, reconciliation, what are the other ones, respect, um, they're all usually R words. <laughs> Father Bob would know. Yeah. Um, how do we do any of that if we, do, if we don't have the key one, which is, uh, rec uh, you know, relationships? Yes. Can't have any of the others without a relationship. So, yeah. yeah. I'm aware that some people might even not know what we're talking about. So let me use a technical term, um, genocide. And it's a, it's a heavy term and I use it in the most serious and technical legal sense. Uh, I think of Kev Carmody and his song, Thou Shalt Not Steal. And the, the chorus says, hey black man, thou shalt not steal. Hey black woman, thou shalt not steal. We're going to civilise your black barbaric lives and we're going to teach you how to kneel, a reference to praying. And he says, but didn't Jesus say you're supposed to give the oppressed a better deal? So we say to you, white man, thou shalt not steal. This isn't ancient history. Um, there are dear friends and mentors um, of mine whose uh, Pop Allen Kickett, his, his family home was burnt down when they went to the royal show when he was seven years old by the local cops who smiled at them um, with a packet of matches shaking at them as they left and they came home to their family home just one block from where I've lived the last seven years, burnt their home to the ground and then Pop Allen was removed from his family to be put with a white family with a Christian justification. And when we talk about what's the work that needs to happen, this is the work. And I can understand why so many would say this Bible verse is part of the problem. In fact, this sacred text is part of the problem. In fact, Christianity is the problem and the God that Christians worship is the problem. So why would you have anything to do with this problem? As, as university educated with, with doctorates, why would you, as academics who are First Nations people, why would you even bother with this Christian stuff? Because God's been in this country. He created this country. He created this land. God has been in this land. So, so her, and we knew the Creator. Mm. And um, we knew the Creator for a long time. And also we knew Logos for a long time. Mm. So it's about creation and our creation stories. We'll actually show you where our sacred, because we all, all this land is sacred. Mm. So the Holy Spirit is with this land. Mm. And um, I think really what's happening on this Saturday. Yeah. Land and place. 
um, this is one of the things that NAITS do is they have a public symposium and to really understand about Indigenous people, and this is one of the, um, I suppose, similarities we have is about land and place and about God's creation and the way we sit in God's creation mm. and what God has been given to us through our cultures that we are able to share with everyone. So this Saturday, you know, we've got all the different guest speakers mm. um, and we're saying, well, come along, listen, talk with us, dialogue with us so that we can share our understandings of how to live in this land um, in a caring and sharing way. Mm. Thanks, Ali. Well, I mean, it's, a, it's not unlike a question asked by a former Prime Minister of Canada to a group of us who met with him in his office in, uh, in Ottawa numbers of years ago. Uh, he put it almost exactly the same way. Um, you know, given all that we've done to you and given the experience of Christianity that you've had, um, why would you want to be Christians? And uh, before any of the rest of us who were uh, older and... Um, <clears throat> perhaps a little less impetuous, uh, could, could respond. The youngest among us, uh, a very dear young friend, Cheryl, um, piped up and said, it's because of Jesus. Mm. And, and I guess in, in, for the most part, that's where I would, would root my response. I, I'm, I think, able to parse the difference between how people choose to live um, um, the teachings of Jesus or fail to live them and, and what Jesus invites us to do. And for me, I put that in the context of a, of a trajectory of a people, my, my ancestors, uh, who identified as they, uh, as my ancestor was baptized, identified that as he heard this message, um, he, he responded according to our oral traditions with, the, with these words, uh, and, and I'll just say them in English, this, this message takes us in the direction that we were already heading, but to the place that we could not arrive. Wow. And, and um, so it isn't replacing who we are, but it's taking us um, on the same trail to this place that God has always intended for us to be at and, and, and to, to be on and, and to, to, to journey with him in. And, and Jesus is this unique um, uh, personage in history. Um, you know, as we're talking about in our, in our sessions, um, our history was unfolding at the same time as Hebrew history was that yeah. we see in the scriptures. Uh, it's all unfolding in these parallel trajectories across the globe. And, and the tragedy is that, uh, that, that that Hebrew narrative, once it intersects the cross and finds its way into the Western world, uh, that Western narrative then, then is, is deemed to be the one that needs to eclipse all of the others, yeah. as opposed to, to inviting those other historical narratives uh, that have been unfolding through the centuries and, and, and millennia to, to also engage the cross and, and also then come out the other side of the cross and continue in a trajectory that, that uniquely um, um, expresses the identity that God has created them in. Uh, now, uh, now given this, this, this wonderful completion, as it were, uh, in the person, work, life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Christ. And, and so that's where, for me, um, uh, it, it isn't an issue of Christianity, which, which in many respects uh, is an epithet. I know, when my wife came to faith a year before me, um, you know, we were in our fourth year of, uh, of marriage, so that's now 44 years ago she came to faith. And, um, um, you know, I was, I was five when I was married. My wife was four. Um, <laughs> Um, 48 years ago, so you can do the math. Um, um, but but when she came to faith, I thought she'd she'd um, gone over to the other side. You know, she yeah. she joined Darth Vader, um, and and was and was in the other side now, and against us because the history of the church and its complicity in things like residential school and and yes. the policies of our federal governments um, toward indigenous people. Um, um, but then I had an encounter with Jesus, and, yeah. and it wasn't an encounter with the church. It wasn't an encounter with Christianity. Uh, it was an encounter with Jesus, mm -hmm. and 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 I could see how my ancestor, Kichisagamon member two, um, could could begin to feel differently yeah. um, ab about this. 
So, so trying to navigate the difference between the, the, the biblical text, um, the, the NIV, the New Indian Version, um, <laughs> and, 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 and the message that it contains of Jesus and the way the church often has, has lived, which has been pretty messy yeah. and pretty destructive and pretty arrogant and pretty ethnocentric and all of those kinds of things, I think has been our saving grace. And we, yeah. we, we are able to see through that, I think. Why is it so hard for those of us who are melanin challenged and maybe our ancestors are from Europe, why is it so hard for us to see those things that you must deal with if you're going to actually be a part of this tradition? Well, well I, as you can tell, I'm a bit pigmentally challenged myself. <laughs> um, um, I, I have, uh, I'm, I'm a Mi'kmaq person, but I have three instances over the last 400 years where, where someone in my family... Um, uh, uh, stumbled and fell and married a French person. Um, and so I have Acadian French blood polluting, I mean, coursing through my veins <laughs> as well. And, um, uh, I, you know, I think, uh, as you experience in the Nates community, which, I, I mean, you know, admittedly, you've, you've, you know, uh, we're still giving you a little bit of a trial run, but um, um, there's, a, there's a welcome that we continue to extend. Um, and, and I mean, while I'm not entirely familiar with the Australian experience, I am uh, exp uh, familiar with the North American experience really well, the experience of the Maori in Aotearoa um, and so on, and, and we see the commonalities. Um, we're actually pretty welcoming people yes. um, overall. Um, you know, we... We we have a we have a, a saying we say uh, it's it's the idea that we are all related and we know that we're related because we experience um, the, you know the, the the relationship it's kind of a it's kind of it's kind of a circular way of talking about it but but everything is related we are all related and and it's that 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 I think draws us to continue to reach out to. Uh, to people um, mm. who come from even the, the, the people groups that have been um, the victimizers of our ancestors and yeah. to a certain extent of ourselves. Uh, um, our experience of, of for example, the, the oppression of the residential schools in Canada, would, which would be the equivalent of the mission uh, here, uh, the last one in Canada closed its doors in 1996. Incredible. So, I mean, that's my experience as a, as a, as a young man growing up. Yeah. Um, um, and, and, and here would, there would be, there'd be similar legislation and treatment here. <clears throat> my father, who enlisted in the Canadian Army for the Second World War, um, uh, lost his status as an Indian person um, because enlistment enfranchised him. So he got the right to vote. We couldn't vote until 1960. But he got the right to vote, and he could go to the beer parlor, um, um, because he enlisted, and so technically he's a Canadian citizen, but he comes back from the war, uh, along with all of those in his generation who did the same. They're not entitled to veterans benefits, as non-Indigenous veterans were because they're Indians, but they can't live on the reserve because they're no longer Indians. Wow. You know, and, th and that's one of probably close to a thousand policies, and, and similarly here, that, w that we wrestle through, but... We see the need, and Naomi said it really well, we see the need for relationship. We see, and, and that's the gospel. Yes. The gospel's inviting us into right relationship with God and other spiritual powers, into right relationship with one another in the human community, and into right relationship with one another in the rest of creation of which we are a part. It, it's about relationship. Those are the things that are damaged in the, in the, in the narrative of Genesis in chapter 3. And those are the things we're to, to, to re-engage in, in, in a right way. And for those of you who got the heebie-jeebies when I said other spiritual powers, um, um, there are spiritual powers in the world. Yeah. And we're to live in right relationship with them. That is to say, not to bow to them or to yes. worship them or to serve them, but to acknowledge that they're present. And there's angels and there are other spiritual forces. And, and, and they were present in that, in that first narrative uh, of Genesis. And, 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 and so calling us into relationship, and Naomi said it so very well, um, that's, that's really why it's okay for you to come and hang with us. Mm. Still got to do I your assignments, though. Yes, you still have to do your assignments, time, yes, right. yes, yes, yes. And this, this year in a timely fashion, not like last year I'll where they were all best. late. Uncle Terry, I'll do my best. <laughs> it's just fun. Come on. Come on.
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you can say anything goes. That's right. So when it comes to um, understanding that that we wear lenses, and that as much as I I love Jesus, um, the Jesus that I've seen growing up hasn't looked like Jesus of Nazareth, but has actually looked like those who came and took the land, much like the Romans took the land from Jesus and his people. Yeah, it's the, yeah. Uh, how how do we start to take lenses that don't look through the lenses of, you know, the spirituality of the crucifiers, but actually see the crucified? What would it mean to read this text that you've chosen in ways that aren't about a justification for whether it's manifest destiny or the doctrine of terra nullius or um, the doctrine of discovery or um, this is ours um, to take because no one is here and these people aren't yet human? Um, what would it mean to read Genesis 1:28 in such ways that we could see it in ways that so many of those who arrived from Europe on this continent couldn't see that the people who were here were living like Acts 2 and Acts 4, where there wasn't a punitive understanding of justice, where there was right relationship with the land. And yet, in the same song, it um, talks about in the right hand holds a Bible and the left hand holds a gun. How do we put down the gun and actually start reading through different lenses? Can I, can I just... Um, can I also add, I think that um, we are in a particular day and age where... Uh, 313 Jesus or Emperor Jesus or Caesar Jesus has um, shown that that experiment has gone on long enough and it's shown itself to be bankrupt. Um, and I mean, like or hate Trump, I think that there has been a certain exposing of a way of operating in the world, a way of reading the text, a way of, you know, uh, the company Jesus with the company car. Um, I think that that experiment has started to show bankrupt. And I think that there is a generation of people, a generation of younger people like myself who have started to see how bankrupt uh, uh, American Jesus is. Not to pick on Americans, but that... that <laughs> no, hear, hear me when I say not to pick on Americans, uh, but that, that way of doing Jesus, that corporate Jesus has become very bankrupt. And we've seen that in the people that we that uh, the church supports. I think we're in a, such an exciting space where we start to call back to what um, before Jesus became 313 Jesus, before he became Western Jesus, um, we get to highlight um, new and exciting ways. And I think that the future of the church has to look way back. I think the future of the church has to be led by people who um, have been here a long time before we have. Um, can yeah? Can you continue to speak to that? And I think that's what um, Uncle Terry was talking about. It's a relationship. It's about dialogue. Yeah. It's about sitting and talking. Yeah. It's about sitting. Yeah. In a building, sitting in a park, sitting at Yarra Creek. Yeah. Sitting at the labyrinth at Mary Creek, and um, sitting and yarning. Because it's only through sharing um, with Indigenous people, because with the because we're the interpreters, and you're not going to get that interpretation by somebody else. Um, and I think that it's just sitting and yarning, and um, taking that time. I mean, we've got to build relationship first. I mean, Jared and I, a little while now. We know how to talk to one another. Um, yeah, and I think that it's it's that taking that time. And honestly, the young people got that time. Yeah. Yeah. And that they're they're willing to listen and I, I love that. Yeah. I think I think this text, um, so part part of the interpretation of the of the three thirteen forward church. Uh, has been, uh, as I've said, the, the sort of the conquest motif, but it's also a conquest motif of the land. 
that that is seen as um, as wild, as untamed. Uh, we were missioned by the Jesuits, and and the Jesuits articulated it this way. They said, "Here we found a godless heathen people in a godless heathen land. In a word, a land that Satan himself had forsaken." And it's an intriguing thing to say for a people who call themselves theists, believing in a God who is imminent and transcendent simultaneously, that God is present in God's creation, who read the text of Scripture, whither can I go from thy spirit when I ascend to the highest peak? You're there and in the depths of Sheol, there you are also. And then see somehow that this is godless and heathen. Uh, it's the theist believing the deist's truth. And, and, and we have to change that narrative uh, uh, and, and change it in some significant yeah. ways because we were a part of that godless, heathen, uh, 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 forsaken uh, part of the land. Um, and and if, we're, if we're going to go forward in a good way, that narrative has to change in some significant ways. Um, and, and indigenous folks, even though, and we would admit, a lot of our folks are pretty dysfunctional today. I mean, they're just hugely dysfunctional because of this history sure. that they have endured generation on generation. And so uh, many are unable to, to live in the ways of their ancestors, even with respect to relating to the land. Um, when I was a boy, uh, just a young boy, I went out on a, a short trip with my dad and my granddad uh, fishing. And my granddad led the way. I was in the middle of my dad behind him. We were going into the bush. And, and in my experience as a young fellow, the trail became very, very closed in and, and narrow and dark. And, and I expressed on a number of occasions to my grandfather my fear of getting lost. Um, and finally, my grandfather um, uh, uh, heard the, the anxiety in my voice and, and, and turned around, put his gear down, knelt down and said this simple thing to me. He said, when you're heading on a trail that you've never been on before, when you're going in a direction that you've never traveled, in a land that you've never, um, that you've never been in, spend twice as much of your time looking over your shoulder at where you've come from wow. as you do where you're going so that you can fix the landmarks in your mind the way that they will appear to you when you turn to take the trail home. And you'll never be lost. Wow. And, and Western society has lost the capacity to look at where we've been. Wow. We're so fixated on an unknown and unknowable future. Um, and, and there really isn't a future until we get there. Uh, so, so while yesterday this event was a future event, uh, no one knows what will happen when we walk through those doors in 30 minutes. It's completely unknown and completely unknowable. But the Western church has been driven by its eschatology mm. into, this, into this unknown and unknowable future. And Jesus said himself, no man knoweth the day nor the hour, not the son, but the father alone. But Western society has driven towards this unknown and unknowable future and has ignored the past. Indigenous folks, although not always formally in our philosophies, place history here. The past is in front of us, not behind us. Yes. It, it's the past that brings you to the present moment. There's not one thing in your past, any of you here tonight, that brought you here. Not one, or in the future, rather, that brought you here, but everything in your past. Mm your relationships, your experiences, your connectedness to somebody, your interest in something that you had in the past brought you here tonight. Nothing in the future brought you here, even though yesterday this was a future event. So the past creates our present moment, and, and that's what we've forgotten as a church, mm -hmm. is, is that we're here because of those, of those things. And some of them need to be repented of. Some of them need to be brought forward into our current experience so that we can live them in a better way. Yes, yeah. And the worldview you're describing is something that has much stronger parallels to a traditional Hebraic worldview and how, we, how Jewish people relate to time. Like the talk of do this in remembrance of, of me, that sense of that the past is brought into the presence in such a way that um, uh, the, the Mishnah talks about that uh, every generation um, must undergo the exodus as if they themselves came out of Egypt. That's a way of taking this story that is not to be left in the past, but actually dictates the present, opening up a different future. And yet so much of Western society has no ability to look in the rearview mirror, see um, where we've come from, and yet we keep driving towards, like even just in terms of our ecological um, direction, we're free falling off a cliff and we're pretending that we're flying because we've forgotten all the ways to live within the right limits that this passage here is 
is about to open up as we get to the second creation story at the start of Genesis and what is those right limits. So I think so many of us are still left with the question, okay, so are we not to subdue? Uh, are we not to rule? Are we not to? Because we can't look back and see a story that has different definitions of subdue, that has a different definition of rule. And, I mean, you know, we're, we're just in the, the First Testament, the, the Hebrew Bible, the, the Old Testament. We haven't even got to Jesus and how Jesus, what subdue means when ran through the cross and what rule means when your king wears a crown of thorns. But well, just a second now, Jared. Please. Just to say, we're starting with Jesus right there in the in the text. Like, so, I, I mean, an awful lot of folks say, well, you know, this is the Hebrew narrative and Jesus wasn't there. Well, of course he was. Of course. You know, Paul makes very clear in Colossians, uh, um, all things have been made by him and in him all things hold together. And, yeah. and so he's right there. Yes. In, in the text. In fact, in fact, if we look a little more carefully, we'll find him there in the tree of life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and... and and I think I think it's that precise kind of, of thing that we need to we need to sort of step back from as a as a reading that starts partway through the story. So let's sit down and yarn there. What does it mean to find Jesus in verse twenty eight? How does that change the way that we see subdue and rule? Well, you see, see because because the because the interpretation is Jesus doesn't come until Matthew 1 1 um, is is very predominant yep. um, Jesus isn't seen in that in that in that Hebrew text and and our stories our histories are very much Hebraic ceremonial people uh, people of sacrifice and 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 seeking to appease God very much the say way you see in the Hebrew text and, and and when Jesus isn't in this text, he's also then not in ours. Wow. Uh, but, but because he's in ours, we can see him in this one. Yes. Because, because we can see his outworking in our life. We can see the fingerprints and footprints of God, um, the, the creator of all things, um, the tree of life that gives life. We can see that in, in, in our narratives, in our histories, in our, in our lands. And so, so we want to go back to this text, and we want to reinsert in the text what is already there, which is, which is Jesus. Yeah. the creator, the one who brings all things into existence, that, that the rest of the narrative affirms. And, and, and I mean, Paul makes that so very abundantly yes. clear. Yeah. Um, and so if, if we go back there and we begin to see that Jesus is engaged with the peoples of the earth, um, uh, and, and I'm, not, I'm not being Mormon here, please. <laughs> um, but, but, if, but if we see the creator of all things, and, 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 and we see in the Trinity... Uh, you know, Father, Son, Spirit. We see the Son um, being being described as the one through whom the creation, you know, comes into existence by reason of. So, if we see the creative act of Jesus in 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 the globe, we interpret the dominion, uh, the sub the subdue narrative very differently because because we see it in light of how Jesus dealt with us and how wow. Jesus dealt with the creation, how Jesus as opposed to this other narrative that's been imposed on that text. Wow. Wow. Ani, Pat, did you want to talk a little bit about um, the way you talked about it at Surrender? The, you talked about two different ways of seeing. And Yeah, and basically I um, looked at the text in the sense of the Australian colonial and previous generations and, and most people... Yeah, they, they had been preached that that was dominion, conquering, um, and, um, and and most of the older people there said, yeah, well, that's how they were taught for that text to mean, you know, we come in, we look at land, you know, that's it for us, you know, we'll knock down that tree to build that nice fine house over there and, um, and you know, all the animals will just, you know, we'll just eat them all or, or actually just kill them all put some new ones there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, um, and even cane toads, which are coming down south too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's basically, um, yeah, but then I, I looked at one of the the elders that taught me was about love mm. and love was and Jesus' love and the cultural love was caring and sharing. Mm. Um, and I will insert words like caring or sharing 
caring and sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, responsibility. Yes. So it's about being responsible but in love, in Jesus' love, in caring and sharing ways. Wow. I mean, to even to the extent that I know that our children will even do that. I mean, my girl, when she was little... Um, to, for her to really care, like she she was a great runner, different to me. I got the short legs, you know. <laughs> my legs will go, but I'll go nowhere. Well, she had the long legs, and she could just speed. And um, and she was in a race, and one of the girls behind her started crying. Um, and she slowed down. Wow. And she let that other girl go ahead of her. Because she knew that that was hurting that girl to come last. So that's that caring and sharing. To that extent that you put others before yourself. And others even, animals others. Because they are our brothers and sisters. Because if you look at the creation story, that's, you know, we as humans were made last. We were made after the animals. So we have to care for those animals in a responsible way. That was what was given to us, to care and share amongst us. Wow. And, yeah. Well, so dominion looks, um, dominion looks a lot like the lion is the lamb. <laughs> Jared and I have a running thing about the lion and the lamb. The lion is the lamb. And the lion demonstrates his power through being the lamb. And so dominion looks like um, your daughter's care for I am um, responsible, not for just me, I'm responsible for us. And so when I take dominion of this situation, when I take dominion of creation and land and people, it means I, um, I am responsible for us. And so when you hurt... Let me take dominion on this situation and bring you into sharing and caring as my way of dominion. Flips everything on its head. Exactly. Line is the lamb. Exactly. And that's, um, I mean, I know that even um, there's backstories. I mean, a lot of our kids sometimes will one day go to school with books and pencil case and has it all. And then cousin comes over that night and says, oh, I got in trouble today. I didn't have that. What do you do? You just give it. Yeah. And so that cousin goes to school the next day with the books and the pencils. Yeah. Because that's the caring and the sharing because you don't want that other cousin to be hurting. So it's that sharing. I think the greatest danger that the church has fallen into is the commodification of faith. Well. Go to the Christian concert, get the Christian T-shirt, wear the badge, go to the altar call, have the sticker, go home, fall in a heap. Yeah, keep going. (laughs) Go the next week, go the next week. We don't stop to think about what does that actually mean? How is that honouring God's creation? And I'm not talking about worshipping, you know, in an animalistic or animistic Isn't it weird that whenever we start talking about real creation care, that that's the fear that people automatically go to? That if we're not destroying the earth, then we're going to worship it, as if that's our only two options. But the, the thing is that the greatest political movement, if you can call it that, that young people are joining are are like green movements. Yep. Echo theology movements. Yes. There's something in their heart that we forget and that we have too because we only need to go walking out in the bush or spend some time and think, oh, that's so peaceful. We're part of that creation. Amen. And so when we're, we need to be mindful when we're striving through prosperity theology or whatever we want to call it, when we're trying to, when pastors are on the TV saying, give money because I need another jet. Yes. There is something wrong with that. Yep. You need a jet. You can't fly coach like the rest of us. <laughs> and where are you going to anyway? So there's this commodification. You don't have to go around the world to go ministering to people. Yes. 
people will come to you. Yeah. And I, I, and I think this commodification of faith is so dangerous because it's so materialistic. And misreading that Bible verse is like a business plan. Mining wow. companies have that. Yeah, wow. Corporations have that. Yeah, corporate Jesus. Yeah, yeah. just out across. Oh, sometimes maybe not even across because that may be a little too close to something that's a bit unpalatable. So when we as Christians don't stand up against that commodification, there's a danger. There's a real danger. And I'm not saying that we should go and divest ourselves of everything and, you know, live out in the bush. If that's what God's calling you to do, then so be it. But we do need to be aware that each of us um, have to try and understand how do we honour the creation that God has given us and what does that actually mean when we're talking about dominion. Mm. And we'll be taking up an offering at the end of the evening. <laughs> <laughs> For a jet to get me home. <laughs> <laughs> you flying coach, <laughs> Uncle, but, flying um, coach. <laughs> but, but part of, part of like the t so we're looking at a particular portion of this wider narrative in this in this yes. in this text and one of the things that happens as you sort of work through it in 28 to 31 of genesis is is this descriptor of god's creation that that uh that makes clear that all of the all of the non uh, plant part of god's creation is sustained by the plant part of god's creation and it's an interdependent uh sustainability yeah. uh, that's being described when i teach a creation theology course i inevitably uh, find my students in the in the intro lesson uh, day one uh, when we talk about now we're gonna we're gonna look into the the, the creation we're gonna begin to examine our theology of creation they immediately strain or crane their necks to look out the window hmm. um, <laughs> uh, at, at creation and and so my my inevitable response is I, I can see what you're doing but if you're not part of creation then what the heck are you yes uh, did God not make you? Like, where? <laughs> well, well, we've we've lost this sense that we are a part of yes. this, an an interdependent, interrelated, interconnected part of this thing we call creation, and and it comes from our theology. So, if anybody does anybody here have an NIV, uh, New Indian Version, with them? Because okay, would would you go to Genesis chapter nine? This this is a sword drill. Mm -hmm. Um. And, and, and above, above Genesis 9, not the beginning of the text where, where the Ooh, number 9 starts, yep. but just above it, what does it say? It's there. God's covenant with? That's a lie. Yes. In the text. Yeah. It's a blatant lie in the text, which is really unfortunate because God does not make a covenant with Noah. God makes a covenant with Noah and those who are in the ark with him and his descendants after him and the entirety of creation. Yes. Seven times it says that in that chapter. But the title above it that the translator has placed there is misleading at best, a lie at worst. And it, and it leads us to understand what follows in a particular way. Uh, and, the, and that way is to say that somehow God's concern is only for humanity. Now, mm. fast forward into Paul, Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee of Pharisees. That's right. And Paul makes really clear in Romans 8. Mm. Creation is groaning in travail, awaiting the revelation of the sons, and I will add daughters of God. And then it says elsewhere, the creation groans in travail, the image of a woman in childbirth, yes. awaiting its own redemption, yes. even as we also do. And yet there are theologies upon theologies that have it all burning up toast uh, at some juncture in the future in our eschatological charts, generally linear in nature. Yes. Um, and, and the toy that God gave us to play with, our dad gave us to play with, when we're finished with it and destroyed it, he's going to give us a new one. And, and it's terribly, terribly anthropocentric and terribly self-centered. Yes. The whole of creation is the focus of the redemptive activity of God in Christ. Amen. Period. Pure, plain, simple. If you read the text. Yes. It just is. Yeah. And, and, and we've, we've forgotten that. Mm. I mean, not just forgotten it or ignored it. We don't care about it. Yes. Because we think it's just subject to destruction. It's just stuff. Very much like Naomi, commodified. Yeah. So we just do what we want with it. We got to get our heads off that and, and recognize this hugely different message in the text that God's activity is focused on that text. The second place you see this is, is in the versification of the text. 
So, so the Hebrew text was chaptered and versed in about the 1100s, mm -hmm. early 1100s. Prior to that, it was just a flowing text. And if you read the Hebrew, you see the thought changing, and so you know by how the grammar works, oh, now we're into a new thought. The narrative of Genesis 1 that we call the first telling of the creation narrative does not end until chapter 2, verse 3, the way you have it in your Bible, yeah. which is the Sabbath day. Mm -hmm. That ends the cycle of creation. Yes. But, but the versification of it and the chaptering of it ends it with 131 because at that point, humanity is the last thing in God's agenda for creation. And that puts wow. us at the pinnacle, and that's a theology I know you've heard. Yes. Humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation, which is just utter nonsense. The pinnacle of God's creation is the Sabbath day. Mm. That's, that's, that's the high point, the Sabbath day, not humanity. Mm. And, and, and we just need to change the way we read the text and actually read it the way it was written instead of reading it the way that somebody has, has decided in their theology to make it. So. Mm. That's incredible. I hope we're starting to get a sense that this is a whole start of a conversation and yet I'm aware of the time. If only, I don't know, in two days' time we could do this all again. And that's the <laughs> opportunity we have on Thursday night. If, if you're starting to sense that Jesus has to be more central than we've ever made him and his gospel is broader and more beautiful than we ever imagined it, you're moving in the right direction. I want to encourage you. I think that's the Holy Spirit. I think we're being invited into something that could be good news for everything. And if our understanding of the curse is broader than our understanding of redemption, I think the problem is our understanding of redemption, not what God wants to redeem. And so we invite you again on Thursday. We're going to have uh, Dr. Michael Bird, who uh, N.T. Wright thinks is one of the best biblical scholars in Australia. We're going to um, uh, talk about Egg Boy. We're going to talk about violence, we're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to do it in the context of 1 Peter 2, one of the first memory verses that I learned. That's 7 o'clock for the first one. And then, uh, no, it's a Pentecostal church. You shout out any time you want to, that's fine. Um, and then at 8 o'clock, and then at 8 o'clock, we'll be um, back here again with uh, academics, professors um, from Nates to go journey deeper. I hope that this has been the kind of challenge that disturbs you with a beauty that you might not yet have imagined. And as a way of thanking you, and I'm, I'm so acutely aware that Aboriginal pastors in our nation so often not only don't get acknowledged, um, they don't get remunerated, um, they don't get appreciated, and um, we think we're doing you a favour by giving you some airtime on a land that you've so graciously made space for us and I want to ask you forgiveness and part of that forgiveness worked out is I, I love the heart of Pastor Phil um, it's a small token um, but it, it is a token to say we appreciate you we appreciate Nate's there is a donation that the church has made to forward this work and it's a small amount but it's a, a way of saying that this place is taking seriously your important and prophetic call that isn't just allowing you to play in the corner and, okay, they're going to do stuff maybe uh, with feathers and maybe they're going to do some dot paintings and that'll be a little bit exotic when we talk about Mission Sunday this year. But actually our call out of a Christianity that looks like the crucifiers instead of Christ. And I thank you for your generosity, your humility, um, uh, the way that you even approach conversation and continue to engage and invite us into a gospel that is deeper and more beautiful than we've yet to imagine. And so this little gift that Pastor Phil and the team ha has arranged is, is just a part of acknowledging you and blessing you and saying thank you. Uh, I'm so thankful for your work and witness and how generous you've been with us and we're really looking forward to Thursday. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask as a way of closing, would one of you be willing to pray for us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Could we have everyone standing? Yes. And please hold hands. Let's link.
Creator Spirit, God. We give you thanks that here upon your earth, your creation, you allow us to stand. You allow us to have your Son, Jesus Christ, to be with us, who walked this earth with us, who has been with us all this time. We know that his love is always with us, Lord. We give you thanks, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that is through this land, through the song lines, through the earth, through the skies, through the seas, through the animals and through us. Lord, Creator Spirit, we can only give you praise and thanks. And we know that we can only do this through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.